0: So this week's pleasure is Lech Lecha, the whole story of Avram, how he leaves his father's home, well first of all how he he grows up and how he is told to leave his father's home when he's 70 years old and all of his journeys and part of uh, what we learn about Avram this week, first of all that he got a new name, Avraham, right, they added a hey to his name Avram, so we're going to speak a little bit about that, what the significance of that is. um, On a... Deep level. And also, Avraham gets his mila. this week's parsha, They're basically connected. He gets his mila and he gets his new name. So we're going to try and understand what, why. Why does a Jew need to get a mila? And there was a famous philosopher who asked Reb... I'm forgetting his name. son, Jan- Ben something. I have to check. He asked him... If Hashem loves Briss Miller so much, why doesn't he have all men be born circumcised? Which is a pretty... Why doesn't he just make everyone born with a briss already? If you love it so much, like everyone should just be born that way, created that way from the beginning. So that's kind of the question that we're going to be exploring here. We're not taking it from uh too much of a literal place we're going to take the chassidist the behind the scenes the way the world works and from there we're going to be able to answer the question as is typical of the altar the altar but it's a pretty classic Torah short mimer with starting off with a question going off into a Hasidic idea and then answering the question based on what we've understood so we're going to be speaking a little bit about say and the way that the world was created how it went from being nothing into something and all of that fun stuff as well, before getting back to, before getting back to the answer. So, the mimar is called, V'lo yikare od shimcha Avram, and your name will no longer be called Avram. And we know that the name of my marim is not, not each one gets its own unique name, rather just whatever the opening verse is of that mimar, that's where the name comes from. So the verse is from Parshas Lech Lecha, where Hashem says to Avram, V'lo yikare od shimcha Avram, Avram, and your name will no longer be called Avram, V'hayashimcha Avraham, now, from now on, your name will be Avraham, ki Av Hamon Goyim, because you are the father of many nations. So, we're going straight into Bres now, okay? Because these two things are connected, his new name coming with the brismilla, his new status. So, ha'inian, the idea is, kitam l'mila, what is the reason why we have a Bres my boys get a it bris as it's written. Elokim as Hashem created to do. So, we um, say, we say in the Kiddush every week that Hashem created the world, to do. That word seems very extra. What do you mean he created the world to do? He created the world. So, finish. No, he created the world to do. What does that mean? Let'aken to fix it. He created a world that needs to be fixed, which we did touch on when we were speaking about Mayim Rabbim as well. God created a world that still needs to be rectified by man. Because even though God already created man, he didn't create him complete. So the question and the answer is there in one sentence, but then the altar is going to elaborate on what that actually means. What's the reason for brit Mila is the question. The answer is God did not create a world that was finished. God created a world, Ashabara la asot to do. He created a world in order for it to be fixed. God didn't create a person whole and perfect. He created a person so that the person can then perfect himself and perfect the world around him. Bless you. So the, the medrash now, the altar brings the medrash, which I just said, about the philosopher that asked, why did God not create man born with a bris? By the way, there are some people who are born with a bris, uh, who are born circumcised. It's many, there are people throughout history that have been told they're born circumcised. I know Moshe Rabbeinu, it says. There's quite a few others. I'm not remembering exactly who. But also, in like, um, not so long ago, there are people who, even today, I think, there are sometimes people are born circumcised. Um, I know Rabbi Yossi Jacobson's uncle. He said that he was born on Zainada, which is on the birthday anniversary sort of Moshe, who was born uncircumcised, and he was born uncircumcised. What's the so, halacha? What yeah, that? like you have to like do a little cut. Oh. Yeah, but but there's no foreskin. Born without a foreskin. So so this is an idea, but the idea is that somebody born like that is on a very very lofty level. Like he's already born kind of fixed. Um, most people need a voice, right? So the question is. The question that was asked, Shishol, uh second paragraph, that it was asked Al Hamila about circumcision. Im Chaviva If a Bris mila is so desirable and beloved Tashem, ta Lama Nevraha Adam Aral? Why did God make man be born uncircumcised? Okay, pretty pretty clear, basic question. Interestingly, also um, all of the the monarchy, the British monarchy like the son that was born, I don't know if it's all their sons or just specifically their sons that were born to take over the king, like uh, King Charles, for example, was circumcised and they um, would bring in a Maihal. They brought in like the top myhol to, to do it because a Myhal is like the best, is known to be the best one to do it. Doctors don't do it all the time and myhol it's what they do every day for like decades. So they actually, the British kings were circumcised by myhillim, which is interesting. Um, it's interesting. What was the answer that this rabbi gave? He said, What was the answer to this question? Shekol ma Everything that was created in the six days of creation, v'tikon. they need work and rectification. And he brings an example, of just like. Haturmosin. This is a specific type of bean that they used to eat in the Middle East at the time, which needs to be, needs to be cooked. It was a specific bean that, if you eat it raw, is completely inedible. You had to cook it seven times. And after seven times of cooking, it was considered like a delicacy. So he brought this as an example. This is something that's inedible, and you have to work it, work it, work it, work it, and then it's, it needs rectification, it needs man's work, and then you can enjoy it. And the answer is basically that everything in... Um, Everything that was created still needs work, right? Um, that God put, God, as we brought before, Hashem put Adam in the garden, to work it and to guard it. God didn't just create a person and the world completely finished. Rather, he finished what we needed for it to be finished so we can live in a world that we can then rectify. But then the Altar Abba asks a question on this medrash. And the question is that the mashal that is brought does not actually fully align with the nimshal. The mushal was, the, que- so the question was, why was man not born circumcised if God loves circumcision? The answer was, God didn't create the world finished, and it's our job to finish it. And the example brought was just like this bean that's inedible um, that you have to cook seven times, right? You have to work it. Then the altar was saying, the mushal is not done to the nimshal. The nimshal of that is that man, what's the answer? Man was not born whole and perfect, so we have to circumcise him, we have to perfect him, ourselves. That's how God created the world. But here, the author says, We have to understand how is the nimshal connected to the mashal. There is actually a lack of connection here. The lack of connection is that when you talk about a bean that needs to be cooked many, many times, it's inedible at first. It's not usable. It's not gonna give you any sort of nourishment or anything at all. And then you have to work it so that it can become delicious and nourishing and usable man when he's born uncircumcised and if he's uncircumcised his whole life as many people are they're perfectly fully functioning human beings there's not anything that they can't do that somebody who's circumcised can do and the question is so how can you compare these two things a bean right a lot of things they're inedible unusable and then they become usable right through work man is functioning when he's born and he's functioning even if you don't do that specific work of circumcision Wait, so, because the altar is asking this, like, second question now, um, also, like, is it not his answer, the bean? It's like, he got that from somewhere else. He's quoting here. So the second paragraph is a medrash. medrash He's quoting a medrash where the philosopher asks this rabbi this question. He brings the answer of the rabbi and the example that the rabbi brings. Okay. And now we're back to his words. From Lahavin, we need to understand, we're going back to the altar words saying, okay. okay, so we got the question, we got the answer, but we have to understand how is the nimshal, the mashal connected to the nimshal. The mashal is speaking about a bean that's inedible and then becomes edible. The nimshal is talking about a person who is functioning and then maybe becomes more elevated, but he's not not functioning at first. And so... These are the questions of the mimer, as we uh, discussed. I think we discussed the, sequ- the, the way that a mimer is is um, laid out. I think we did discuss this at the beginning of the year, yeah, right? That we start the question. Sometimes we ask the question, answer the question in one sentence, but then have to like open that up, right? Which is actually done here the the altar opens up what's the reason for bismillah because the world was made that we need to rectify it so it gives a question it gives the answer but now we need to move on to a whole new idea kabbalistic idea learn a little bit about chassidus and then we're going to go back to the original question and actually understand Mm -hmm. what do we mean when we say the reason for bismillah is because the world was created in a way that it needs to be rectified okay so now we're moving on to the chassidus part of it any questions comments so far before we move on Clear so far, right? Pretty obvious questions. Okay. So Noda Mamar, there's a famous saying which is, which is from Yotzer R, which we say in Davening. Hamachadesh That we praise God who Hamachadesh that who renews in his goodness the yom tamid every single day, constantly the action of creation of, of bringing the world into being. And we've discussed this before, that God is continuously creating the world. And that's the idea that God, every single day, all the time, is recreating the world. There's constantly this newness, this novelty of bringing yesh, something that exists, from nothing. When we say yesh, we don't mean true existence and in something that doesn't exist. Yesh means something that feels its own ego and as if it exists on its own. So we could call that ego, but not only just ego, because when we think of ego, we think of something negative. Yesh means mitsias, existence, but existence as in subjective existence of a person. Ayin means non-existence, but that doesn't mean it doesn't exist. It just means it's not something that we're able to actually tangibly experience. And god is taking something intangible he's making it tangible he's turning unconsciousness into consciousness he's touching he's turning formlessness into matter and that's all happening in this process of yeshima and that's happening constantly all the time and we've spoken about this before that the reason for that is because when we create something we create yesh yesh, something from something and therefore we can walk away when we finish creating or whatever we've created and it'll still be there but god is creating something from nothing it's a chiddush it's a novelty that's not supposed to be that defies logic and that defies the order and therefore god has to continuously be doing this again and again if god walks away from this process the process will stop and it will all go back to ayin, to nothing so that's what we mean when we say, that God is continuously renewing the creation. The Inyan and this whole idea of his Yesh Vagashmi, of creating, bringing into being physicality and matter and existence, from nothing, and from spirituality, it's not possible. And this is really, this is a the big question that everyone has been asking basically since since the world was existing how can we go from a spiritual god and a spiritual world to physical matter these things are complete opposites they don't connect they don't have anything in common how can one come from the other and as we're getting closer and closer to the answer within science we're getting more and more confused right so quantum physics is basically trying to understand the process of going from like the tiniest nothingness into matter. I don't understand a thing about it um but that's what I basically understand I spent like one day looking into quantum physics I never learned about it in school I didn't go to fancy schools I went to school in Israel um, but okay. one day I was like watching videos about it and the, something stuck to me one of the I don't remember the name of this guy but one of the forerunners of quantum physics said that he wished he had never gotten into this stuff he wished he had never got into it because the more you learn about it the more you just find contradictions that do not make sense like i remember this whole oh my gosh this whole experiment that they did if anyone is familiar that they were like shooting randomly like a dot yeah it's called the right split experiment. and then if amazing. someone was watching it changed it that. changed the outcome like None of this makes sense. Like the more you learn about quantum physics, the more you learn about the tiny processes that are creating the matter that we know it, the less you actually understand. There's a story of of an astronomer who went, who was talking to his friend who was a musician and he told him, I don't believe God exists because I have this really fancy telescope and I've been looking between every single star and I've been looking everywhere in the universe and I did not find him. And... The musician said, well, you know what? When I took my violin and I opened it up and I took out every single string and I cut it up into pieces, I dissected the entire thing. I didn't find music anywhere. Does that mean music doesn't exist, right? So how do we go from, how do we go from nothingness, right? From spirituality, from these, like something that just doesn't have anything to do with the world as we know it, and go from that, to the world as we know it. That's the question. That's the question that many of of life almost, how do we get here, right? So we could say, well, God created the world, but the question then is how, right? Um, I think I've said this before that Kabbalah, Kabbalah explains the how, how did God create the world from nothing into something? And Hasidus explains the why, why would God do that in the first place, right? So we're going to be speaking a little bit about the how. So we're going to go into a little bit of Kabbalah. How did we go from ayin to yesh? From non-existence into existence. The only way, so, so it says, It's impossible. However, the only way to do this is according to what is written in Pasha Teruma, which says, that the parochet, the curtain in the Mishkan separated between the Holy of Holies, the Kodesh HaKadoshim, and between the Holies, the Kodesh so when we learn about the Mishkan has anyone ever learned about the Parshas that speak about the Mishkan and the way that the tabernacle was built it's, most people skip over it <laughs> and the reason for that is it's extremely detailed and I remember growing up and we learned it sometimes in school and I'd be like, what? Why do we need to know this? When I say detailed, like down to the pegs and the pillars and every single detail of the Mishkan is detailed and laid out in the Torah. Why do we need to know that? So one, one reason why you say we need to know that is because we're going to need to know how to build the third base emigdash, right? So we, we need to know how to do it. But why does it have to be so specific? Who cares what size the beams are and how many beams are and how many pegs are connected to the bottom of the beams? And the answer is because actually, when you learn Kabbalah and Hasidus, the Ramah actually has a whole book about the Mishkan and how it's actually an entire representation, miniature representation of the cosmos, of the process of how the spiritual worlds actually work and come down into this physical world. The whole way that Siddhartha, the order of creation works, is represented in the, the building of the Mishkan. So when you actually learn these parshas to ruma etc make sure to learn it with chassidists because it definitely gives it much more of a relevance it's not just like well this is how people three thousand years ago built a you know a temporary structure where they made carbonas. it's like no no this is representative of the way that the whole world works and so one of the things one of the famous features of the mishkan which was also present in the base of mikdash was the parochet the, the parochet is the curtain. So there are actually 13 curtains, but there's the ha-parochet, the famous one, which divided between the Kodesh Kadashim and the Kodesh. Kodesh HaKadashim was the holiest place on earth, right? You were only allowed to go into it on the holiest day of the year and only the holiest person of the nation, the Quran Gadol, was able to go. This was an untouchable place, right? And the Kodesh HaKadashim, as we're going to see inside, represents Ayin. It represents the spiritual element, this nothingness, non-matter. And we see that actually in a tangible way. Does anyone know how, within the Kodesh HaKodeshim, how we tangibly, physically saw that this actually represented something that's beyond matter? Like if you measured the wall to the, the ark, and then like the arc to the wall. Like it, it's like the arc didn't exist. Right. Like it didn't take up space. The arc, if I'm getting the dimensions right, was 10 meters wide, like this long two and a half by two and a half by two and a half something and the room was 20 meters because we also get the dimensions of how big the room was the kodesh but if you measured from one edge let's say this is the kodesh and this whole square is the room okay if you measured from here to here you got 10 meters and from here to here you got 10 meters that's 20 meters the whole room was 20 meters so what does that mean if you get 10 meters here and 10 meters here what does that mean about this that means that it doesn't take up any space because the room is 20 meters. But we get the dimensions of the Aaron. It was one of the Kalim of the The Kalim means a vessel. It was very physical. It was a physical thing. And it was there taking up space but not taking up space at the exact same time. And that represents the spiritual world where the limitations of physicality do not exist. And the source of life that flows from those worlds flows first into the Kodesh HaKodeshim, from there into the rest of the Beit HaMikdash, from there into the rest of the world. And then we have something called the Parochet. The Parochet divides between the Kodesh HaKodeshim and the Kodesh. On a practical level, we need that division so people know this is where the room starts, don't go inside. Also to conceal the room and keep it protected and private. But on a spiritual level, it represents what we can call today a filter but a parochet is a curtain and a curtain also in physical level has a certain function which is to filter the light that's coming through right well you can have some parochats that are so 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 thick that we call them blackout curtains nothing goes through but a regular curtain like the ones we have here they filter the light that the light that comes through is less and it's also maybe a different color based on the color of, of the curtain and so the author over here is saying that the only possible way for spirituality to turn into physicality is through something called a parochet, through a curtain. What do we mean by that? So, first we'll see this till the end of the paragraph, and then we're going to elaborate a little bit about this curtain and, and how it enables the world to come into being. So, four, four lines in the middle from the third paragraph. Because the beta mikdash, Sham There was the source of all of the revelation and the abundance of godliness coming into the world. It first went into the Beit HaMikdash and from there it was spread out to the whole world. Now that we don't have a Beit HaMikdash, it says that it goes into the Dalad Amot of Halakha. The limitations of Halacha that we have actually draws down the same hashpa to the whole world. But when the Beit HaMikdash existed, it went to the Beit HaMikdash. That's why the windows of the Beta Mikdash, instead of being big on the outside and narrow on the inside to bring light from the outside into the inside, as much light as possible inside, they were wide on the outside and narrow, wide on the inside and narrow on the outside because all the light was actually coming out of the Beta Mikdash. Specifically represented by the menorah, right? The light of the menorah was flowing out to the rest of the world The Beit just didn't need the sunlight rather the world needed the light of the basement And the reason for that is because God's light and energy and source of life for this world First went to the beta and from there to the rest of the world And it's actually explained that every single spiritual world has its own beta mikdash its own like spiritual hub where the essence and the power and the life force of that world goes, and from there spreads out into the rest of the world. So there's something called the Beit Hamikdash Shalomayla. There's like a spiritual Beit Hamikdash up in all of the spiritual worlds. So this is the source of Hashpa'ah. The HaShechina beKodesh Hakodeshim. The revelation of the Shechina of God's presence was specifically in the Kodesh Hakodashim. It was revealed there. Okay, so people weren't allowed. weren't just barred from going into the Kodash Kadashim because it was a holy place. They were barred from going there because you were not able to handle it. The amount of revelation that existed in the Kodash Hakodeshim was not able to be handled by anybody, even the Khan Gadol on a regular day, and only by the Khan Gadol on Yom Kippur, right? And even then, many Khan Gadols died on Yom Kippur there, right? There's a whole plan how they tied a, a string around his foot just in case. So that's the reason why people would die. People didn't die as a punishment for going in. I always thought people, people would die when they went in as a punishment because they weren't holy enough. But it wasn't a punishment, it was just a natural consequence. There was so much revelation there. If you can't handle it, if you can't handle the revelation of the ayin, of nothingness, you become nothingness. You lose your sense of self totally. And that's the story that we have with Nadav and Adihu as well. So, the ha So this abundance is energy, then nimshach misham bahala gets drawn down from there and then onwards. And this would not be possible lo haya al Yade giloi Kolkach. This would not be possible if the same revelation would be spread outwards. If that same revelation that enables an ark to take up space and not take up space at the same time, that amount of energy would be spread forth to the Beit HaMikdash and then to the whole world, it wouldn't be able to be handled Kiim ken because if that was the case everybody would turn into one what does that mean everybody would turn into one the truth of the unity of Hashem that nobody actually exists and it's all God would become revealed in this world and as a consequence of that we would lose our own sense of self and then we would just become included into the oneness of God and we would no longer be able to exist in a physical world that God wants us to so, we have a bit of a problem. God's energy and truth gets drawn down into the Besamegdash, specifically into the Kodesh kodeshim. That truth is very potent. It's very powerful. What is God's truth? That everything is God. That's the truth, right? That truth exists there. But then it needs to get spread out and give hashpa, give energy, give life to the whole world. But we can't handle that same amount of light. So, what's the solution to that? The parochet. The parochet dilutes the light... In quantity and in quality. So now the amount of light that's coming through the parochat is less than the amount that was in the Kodesh kodashim, but the quality of it is changed as well. So it's like, for example, you can have like a see-through kind of curtain that doesn't change the color of the light, it just changes the amount of light going through. Then you could have a colored curtain that now the light coming through is a different color. I know, I can't remember the other word, but quality and quantity are associated with simsum, and there's another word. And parsa. Parsa. Does does that sound familiar? Tsimtsum and Parsa? Parsa, We're going to be learning about a Parsa, which is a specific element of Tsimtsum. Tsimtsum means contraction. You take an amount of something, the quantity of something, you make it less, Mm -hmm. right? Parsa parsa means a curtain, it's like a a covering. Okay, it is getting to that. So so it's getting into the quality. So we're speaking about the quality, that the quality of the light changes totally. The example brought many times in Hasidus is that you can have the light that comes out of the sun is called white light. But the moment it hits a cloud in a certain way and reflects off of that cloud, it becomes a rainbow, right? So that light, which used to be white light, now becomes many, many different colors. Those colors always existed within the white light, but they weren't. The, the white light was never cut up, and diluted, and also filtered in such a way as happens in the process of making a rainbow. That now it turns into a totally different color. It's almost like a new light, totally right. The light coming out of the sun, as opposed to the light that creates a rainbow. And so the idea is that the light that comes from God and is drawn down into the Kodesh Kodashim is like the white light. It's 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 pure truth, right? It's iron. It's the nothingness. It's spirituality. But then once it goes through the parser and then gets spread, layer upon layer upon layer through many more parsers, there were 13 curtains in the base of HaMikdash, and through many what we call tzimtzum, contractions, we can slowly get to the world as we know it. We can speak about that for a second before we read about... Here, let's, let's read about the parochas and the parsa, and then we'll elaborate a little bit. Um, any questions so far? Okay, good. So top of page seven. The parochet... Tirgum onkelos parsa. Tirgum onkelos would translate into Aramaic the Torah. What's the parochet? In Aramaic, it's parsa. He says, So, masach is like a screen, and that's called in Aramaic parsa, and we use that term parsa. So, parsa is the same word for parochet, a curtain, a screen. There were different types of levels of parochet, of curtains in the Beit Hamikdash, the Mishkan, and in the tabernacle, in the Mishkan. That every single process of contraction from one well to the next, order of descent from one well to the next, It happens through this screen, this curtain, that stops that makes a stop so to speak then call on between each world so let's talk about that a little bit what do we mean when we say parser so this mom is kind of trying to get to the bottom of first of all what's brismillah but after that how do we go from I to yesh how did god create the world from two opposite things completely and the answer is to a parser what does that mean that God starts off as pure truth, right? It's just the truth of God, which is that everything is God. And it's just God as he relates to himself. Then there's a whole process of turning Atmos essence, God as he relates to himself, what we call black light, the light as it exists within the sun, which is black because it doesn't shine, turning that into a light that shines. That's like the first symptom that had to happen. So you turn black light into white light. then you have this white light which totally reflects its source right the light that comes out of the sun doesn't just take little pieces of the sun it takes everything that it has from the sun and it reflects it outward it's a very very powerful light and within that it creates that truth of god the only thing that's changed it doesn't only relate to itself now it relates outward which is already a a level down because to reflect the outward you have to almost in some tiny sense acknowledge something outside of yourself right so it's a step down that's kind of the first one then we have what's called simpson harishon which we will get into i promised you we were going to get into it after the mimer i completely forgot um where the reality of the world well, just like i'm not going to get into the details but what happened then that white light reflects the ultimate truth of god it's all god but the reality shifted after simpson harishon because before simpson harishon everything was god and then within that there was like the tafel we have the Ikar and the Tafel, the primary and the secondary. The primary existence before tzimt was there's God. The Tafel, the secondary, was within God there are these things called vessels and there are these potentials for, for, for limitation. But it was completely overwhelmed by the truth that everything is God. So when you looked at the world before tzimt what was the reality? Reality was God. Secondary to reality was, oh, by the way, within God there exists this potential for limitation. After Simsimarishon, the big contraction where that light underwent all different stages of transformation, what happened? Reality was limitation. Reality was these vessels, and that was the Ikar. That was the main thing, and the secondary thing was God. So it became the new, the new reality of life after Simsimarishon is that we can truly acknowledge and see that there's this thing called limitation. And that process of how that worked is for another time, because it will take us much longer than the five minutes we have, of how we went from taking that light, which was just pure truth, to shifting the perspective of that truth and drawing out from that truth that potential for limitation and making that the new truth. Okay? You Did you have your hand up before? Or? No. Okay. So then we have Simpsomorishan. Now the light that's after in Sumerian, it's the light of God. However, it has within it this very strong presence of limitation, presence of so to speak the potential for my own existence. From that light we have many other sort of contractions, going through Kesser, Adam Kadmon, all these fun fun stuff, and we get Atziluth. Atziluth is the first world. I haven't spoken to you about the worlds yet, right? No. so um, tomorrow we'll continue with just defining a little bit each world but the first world is atzillus Atzilus comes from the word etzel etzel means next to in modern Hebrew we say I'm by my friend like that's where I'm, where I'm at and etzel means next to and the world of Atsilos is so close to that truth that we spoke about that light is very very present in the world of Atsilos. But it's become a little bit more defined. When we say a world, olam, milshon, does anyone know the word olam has the same root word as the word heelem, he ayin lamad mem, and ayin vav lamad mem. Olam and heelem are the same word. Heelem means concealment, right? We spoke about this in the summer. When we speak about a world, not only the physical world but the spiritual world, which we'll elaborate on tomorrow, when we speak about a world. We mean concealment, that light of God that started out as pure truth, started out of black light turned into white light, went through all these transformations where we drew out of it the, the potential for limitation and sense of self. The moment we say a world, we're taking that light and we're defining it and we're categorizing it and we're putting it into a structure, like as you see here on the board. Atsilis has the structure of the sefirot working in a very coordinated way, but there's limitation, there's definition within the world of Atsilot. And that makes it a world. The moment we have definition, the moment we have you go here and you go here, and these are opposite chesed and gvorah, two opposite things, we have something called a world. We have the concealment of the truth. What's the truth? Everything is one. The moment we have Helem, we have a world that conceals the truth that everything is one by saying everything is one, but there's parts. There's Chesed, there's gevura, there's Tiferet, this one is opposite to this one. There's up and down, there's right and left, there's before and after. These all started, These concepts all started coming to being from the first world, which is Atzillus. But the world of Atzillus is still very, very close. It's Etzel, it's very close to the light as it existed before the creation of worlds as it existed in its truth. So the the world of Atsilis has the light of truth. Majority of that world is this tremendous light which screams the truth. Everything is God. And for that reason, nothing, no creation exists in the world of Atsilis. There are no angels in Atsilis. There are no people in Atsilis. There's just light. Because the truth of Hashem still, within now, a structured truth of Hashem, a structured light, which makes it a world, concealment, There still remains that truth. So that's why it's called Atsilis. When we say a parsa, a parsa is a curtain that exists between each world. The biggest, most famous parsa exists between Atsilas, the first world, and Bria, which is the second world. Bria is the world of creation. Bria means to create, the world of creation. We're going to speak a little bit more about Bria tomorrow, but... The light that exists in Atsilis, in the structured way that exists with the ten sephirot as they work together, it's a very, very, very powerful light. And the truth and the reality in that world is still majority, overwhelmingly, the truth is that everything is one and that everything is God. But there's a very, very big leap from the light as it exists in Atzilus to the light as it exists in Bria. And that leap happens because there's a curtain between the two. And when the light shines through that curtain from Atzalus to Bria, the quantity and the quality of the light changes completely. So we're going to speak tomorrow about how that process works. How do you filter? What does the filtering process look like? And we're going to discuss how you have have to extract the Pneumyot, the essence of something, and you remain with the outside of it. And that outside, we call the Chitsoniet, that outside is now the new reality that essence has been completely left behind the parser we're going to speak about how that process actually works again and again and again and again hundreds of thousands or more times until we can get to this world and we're going to speak a little bit more about the function of a parser but a parser can be a screen a filter and the main idea is that the light as it exists before the parsa, and as it's after, is a different light. When we say it's a different light, it's not a different God. It's all light from God. But the quality of the light has changed completely. And the biggest leap that we have from one light to the other is between the world of Atsilus and Bria. But within every, between every single world, we have more and more and more of these parsers. So we'll continue to discuss this process and how it looks tomorrow. And basically, what does it mean when we say, when we say, hishtal shalot, On the one hand, it means the order of creation the secret, the how, that Kabbalah speaks about, how did God create the world? But seder eshtal actually means the order of descent. Leish eshtal means to descend. It's the order of descent. How did God go from being just God as he exists, as he relates to himself, to there being a physical world that you totally can't see the truth whatsoever. The answer is through, through this order of descent. And this order of descent works through many, many parsers, many screens, which block the light and then change the quality of the light. And also through many tzimtzumim, contractions, which change the quantity of the light so that we can get to the world as we know it. So basically, the Rebbe here asks a very big question that people have been asking and are still asking, which is, creating... Physicality from something spiritual. E.F. Shalyotkach, it's impossible. And then he says the only way it's possible is through a parochit it's through the parochet that we see represented in the Beit Hamikdash, which represents this process of how God turned nothingness into something, into physical matter. So we'll continue with that, um, with that a little bit tomorrow, and then we'll continue inside elaborating a little bit about these um, parses, and then we'll go to its connection with a brisk middle. What's, what's the connection there? Any questions or comments on what we've said today? We're good? Amazing. So we're getting into a little bit of the, of the Kabbalah stuff. It's good to start it off at the beginning of the year because then these mamari relate to these concepts again and again and again. So um, it's helpful to, to kind of establish these ideas now. Okay.